Today is the 28th of February 2021, and on the 26th, which has just passed, it was Maga Puja Day. And as we all know, know, the Buddha on this day gave the Awadapadimoka sermon, which we take as the heart of the Buddha Sasana, this practice to abandon all evil, to cultivate goodness and skillfulness, and to purify the heart. This is uh, the very foundation or the principles of all of the Buddha's teachings, the very heart of the Buddha's teachings. And so when we come to train our minds to develop samadhi, to bring them to a state of stillness and firmness, we can do this through paying attention to the breath as it comes and goes. And when we are mindful over the breathing in this way, that's in doing that, what we're doing is abandoning evil and developing goodness. And so this is happening constantly while we're developing anapanasati. And so when we bring the mind to a state of stillness and to samadhi, there'll be these factors of jhana or samadhi, which is uh, vitaka, vichara, piti, sukha, ekakada. So uh, vitaka and vichara, what these are, are knowing the breath coming and leaving, knowing the breath, whether it's short, whether it's long. And vitaka is bringing up the breath as the object of recollection. In the Thai language, in a common everyday use, use, this word vitaka, it refers more to anxiety. And that if we like something or we don't like something, um, then the mind just thinks about this, constantly churns this over. And that's what uh, people usually use this word in uh, everyday Thai usage uh, for, vitaka. And this just creates a chaotic heart. But if we're talking about vitaka and vichara in terms of these factors for samadhi, um, these bring about inner peace. So we have this uh, knowing of the breath as it comes and goes. And uh, when we do this, when we're mindful of the breath, um, then our sati, this mindfulness, improves. And the amount of thought, the inner narrative that goes on, steadily reduces. And we'll see that usually throughout the entire day, there'll be this constant thinking, this constant inner narrative that's going away. And all of that is based upon and centered around a sense of self, around me and mine. If we're thinking about our work, then this is all about me and mine. Our family is all to do with self, me and mine. Our children, politics, it's all to do with the sense of self. And uh, if we think about this more and more, then the mind becomes more and more scattered, more and more chaotic. And uh, this brings, or this results in uh, a lack of inner peace that this scattered nature of the mind, it obstructs uh, the heart from entering into samadhi, from becoming settled. And thinking in this way is a habit that we've had for a very long time, for many, many lifetimes now, 
that we've been proliferating like this. And so now when we come to train our minds to be aware of the in-breath and the out-breath, it's quite difficult. But if we can persist with that, then the thinking that goes on will steadily reduce and the amount of peace that we experience will increase. All of this um, scatteredness of mind, of thoughts, the annoyance we have, the um, desire and the pleasure we seek in things, doubts and uh, anger, this will all leave the heart. In the beginning, when we start to feel inner peace, then certain feelings may arise within the body. Perhaps our hair stands on end or tears may flow down our cheeks. The body may feel very light and buoyant, and different parts of our bodies, our hands or our feet, may disappear. And so when samadhi comes up to one level, um, then joy arises in this way. And joy, we can say, is a sense of fulfillment, of inner fullness. But it's different from the fulfillment that we get from worldly things, from experiencing gain, uh, from praise, from status, from worldly pleasure. This too is a kind of inner fulfillment. But when we meet with the opposites of that, when we lose, when we meet with criticism or censure, when we lose our status, when we meet with displeasure, uh, with unpleasant things, then suffering arises. And these are the ways of the world, the winds of the world. But this fullness of heart, um, this fulfillment, the inner fulfillment that we gain from samadhi, it's a different kind of happiness. It's uh, something that, another kind of, another type of happiness um, that doesn't have anything to do with the world. It's the joy we get from peace of mind. So when we see the danger in the mind that isn't peaceful, that is thinking all the time, uh, then we'll also see uh, the goodness that arises uh, from having a mind that is peaceful, uh, from gaining this inner joy, from this fullness of heart. And uh, what we gain from that is a kind of happiness that we've never experienced before. When we train ourselves and have trained ourselves already, then this is what will result, is this inner peace. And uh, it's natural that we'll have liking towards this, that we'll enjoy it, uh, because it is a form of happiness. And then what often happens is the next time we come to sit, we want to get that joy again. But we must understand that this happiness that arises from causes and conditions, it doesn't come about because we want it. And so when we sit in meditation every day, and sometimes the mind will be peaceful and sometimes it won't be peaceful, but we need to accept both of these, that even though we wish for that peace, um, sometimes the mind will be scattered and we need to accept that need to bring our hearts into a centered space, into a place of equipoise, and not practice through attachment or desire. 
Uh, but when the mind does come together and peace arises, uh, then there will be this joy, and this happiness that comes up as well. And uh, when we have developed samadhi to some degree, even though it may be a small degree, we'll also experience a small degree of inner fulfillment and of happiness. And we can use this, take it to study, take it to contemplate into the truth, to see that all the problems that arise come up due to the sense of self, due to being attached to me and mine. But if our minds know about this, if uh, their knowledge is up to speed with the events that happen, then they'll see that really there is no me, there is no mine. And in seeing that, all of the problems disappear. That we have problems is only because the mind attaches to me and mine. But the Buddha taught uh, that we shouldn't go and attach in this way, and if we do, it's a cause for suffering to arise. So therefore, he taught us these principles of the practice to abandon evil, to give rise to skillfulness, to purify the mind, to develop dana, generosity, and sila, virtue. But the highest form of merit that we develop is that of inner cultivation. And this is more difficult than the levels of generosity and of virtue. But for those who see the danger of an agitated mind, um, they'll be able to do this. And they can come and look and ask themselves, why does suffering arise? If people try to find the cause of suffering externally, they often say that it arises because of other people. And this is the normal reason that uh, people come up with. That I'm suffering because someone else has harmed me, because they're gossiping about me, they're disparaging me. And we try to find the causes for our suffering externally. But what happens when we look internally? We see that suffering arises because the mind is attached to self. And even the Buddha had a huge number of people who disparaged him, who criticized him, who were quite abusive in their speech towards him, but he didn't become agitated due to this. All of the arahants have experienced this as well, but none of them became agitated because they had hearts of wisdom. They already knew clearly and in time Um, all of these things. They already knew that there's no real, true self. So when we come to abandon um, unskillful things and give rise to skillful things, uh, we can come to contemplate and ask ourselves, well, where is this self? Where is this me? And do I really own anything? So we contemplate uh, in this way until we find that a true self doesn't actually exist. Uh, The body um, has, there are feelings that arise within the body 
And uh, the mind commonly attaches to all of that and takes it in terms of self. But if we contemplate, we can see that this body just arose from the elements that came from our mothers and fathers. Uh, But the mind still comes and attaches to these elements and takes it as me. And it's really difficult to extract this view because it's so tightly and deeply embedded. And if it wasn't so fixed within our hearts, then all it would take would be just listening to the Dhamma one time, and we would understand clearly. But because it's so deeply embedded, it's often not the case that we need to listen just the one time. And uh, we're able to abandon these things. But it's something that we have to do uh, with great effort and sincerity and consistency. And this is just natural for the minds of humans to be in this way. So when we train our minds to gather together and settle into peace, um, then we take that to contemplate and we will steadily gain a clear understanding that there really is no me, no mine. And that this body is just composed of the elements, that the hard things are earth, the liquid things are the water element, and then there's the gaseous, or the breath, which is the air element, and uh, the heat in the body is the fire element. But we also see that if there's no breath, or if the heart stops beating, then very quickly the body will change its state, and we won't be able to find any self there within it. The mind leaves the body. But while we are still alive and we have this life, we should use it to train ourselves to gain an understanding. Uh, That we have obtained this body already, so we need to take it to train, to put in our efforts, to practice. Because this teaching that the Buddha gave on Magapuja, the Avadapadimoka, it's a very deep teaching. And now that we have gained this knowledge of these three principles of the practice, of abandoning evil, of cultivating skillfulness, of making the mind pure and bright, we need to put these into practice, uh, to train following these teachings. And it's natural that our minds won't have constant samadhi. And... um, The samadhi that most people have, um, it's there, but it's a samadhi that's tied up in the sense of self. But the samadhi to abandon the sense of self, very, very few people have this. And when they don't have this, then wisdom can't arise. So then, when we're in that state, we need to cultivate a lot of mindfulness and know how it is that we are feeling. Because when we live in the world, um, then sometimes the emotions that can come up can be really, really strong. And we have to live with people who have a lot of defilements, who have a very intense sense of self. So when we receive any sense impressions, um, then the Buddha said that in the beginning for practitioners, for wise people, 
whether monks or laity, we need to focus on maintaining our virtue and on patiently enduring. And this is something that can be quite difficult. It's really not easy to endure in this way. Sometimes we're right, but other people come and say we're wrong. And are we able to take this? Can we let go? Perhaps sometimes we we can, and sometimes we can't. And when I was staying with Lumpur Cha, um, even though he was a fully awakened being, still people would come and criticize him. They'd come and shout at him. Even some of his monastic disciples would come and verbally abuse him. Uh, but uh, Lumpur Cha, uh, he... Oh, sorry. And even though there were these were monks, um, still they would speak in this way towards Lumpucha. Some of them would say that um, he was treating his disciples differently, that he didn't give them equal love, that even though um, they thought that all of them were his children, um, he wasn't treating them all the same. And some people would speak to him like this. And uh, some of those monks who did shout at him, they would later come back and ask for forgiveness. Uh, but they were relatively few, and the number of monks, the number of people who did this uh, were very, very great. And uh, there was one monk who shouted at Limpucha, and then later on he ended up by eating something poisonous, and he nearly died. And uh, before that, or, or while he was going through that, he asked forgiveness from Lumpucha. And uh, Lumpucha sent him to be taken care of in a hospital in Bangkok. So even the Buddha experienced this kind of abuse, and he experienced a lot of it. Um, and this was despite all of the barami that he had cultivated. So in this one life, as a bodhisattva, uh, he was tortured by a king and even had his nose cut off, his ears cut off, his feet, his hands cut off. But still he constantly throughout this praised this quality of kanti, of patient endurance, because he saw that kanti exists within the heart. And even while he was dying, he still praised patient endurance and that he was able to put up with this, forbear with this, it shows that his heart was really sturdy, was very well founded. Uh, But for us, we don't have that level of samadhi, so what should we do? We depend upon this training, we depend upon our strength of forbearance. And so there are these two qualities for the lay people, that of endurance and that of peace, peace of body and of speech. And these are both things that we all must train ourselves in. And uh, the monks need to train themselves as well. Train themselves to be just like a battle elephant who goes into uh, the battlefield. They must endure with all the arrows, all the weapons that uh, come to pierce its hide. And this is how we train ourselves as practitioners. Enduring with cold, with heat, uh, with fear, with hate, with love, with hunger, with thirst. We need to forbear through all of this. 
In the beginning, we make sure that we keep our sila well, whether it's the five precepts for the uh, for the laity or the uh, rules of the pedimoka for the monks. And then we also endure with difficult practices like staying up all night. Uh, but when we can do this, when we can chant all night and practice all night, then we'll feel very proud of ourselves that we're able to forbear in this way. We're able to put up with the cold of the night like this. We're able for the monks to come to the morning chanting and evening chanting, go out in arms round. And when we're able to do this, then the practice becomes easier. And uh, what we're after is peace. And the Buddha taught us to seek out seclusion. But nowadays, it's really not easy to get that. Even though we may be staying all by ourselves in a physically secluded spot, but still it's not secluded because people have their phones, they have this communication technology, so it's not quiet. And it can be really easy for people to stay in solitude like this uh, because they can still be in communication with the rest of the world. And uh, so for monks, um, this technology can make seclusion very difficult. But the real meaning of that seclusion is peace of mind, is the cultivation of samadhi. And uh, so when we are staying just by ourselves, um, then it's natural that we won't be speaking in ways that harm other people. We won't be doing acts which cause harm. And then we must train our minds to gain peace. Um, after having trained in this peacefulness of body and speech. And when we come to sit in meditation like this, um, we may be sitting in a hall with many other people, or sitting at home with other people. Uh, but when it's quiet, then it's like we're by ourselves. So we train our minds to develop to a higher level. And this training to heighten the mind, it can give rise to many amazing results. And it can change our views, and we see things in a different way than we did before. We see everything as being conventions. A house or a dharma hall, these are things which just arise and cease. And when we can perceive it in this way, it's really quite amazing that we gain a clear understanding of the things of this world, and that we people may be born into great wealth. They may have a lot of beautiful things, uh, but these are just the materials which exist in the world. These are things which are inconstant, which don't last for long, which must deteriorate. And the four elements which compose this body, they don't stay for long. They need to decay, to disband. And they can't provide us with a true happiness. Uh, but the people who are lost in this world, they attach to these things. They may gain a lot of these things, but they don't stay for long. Because all of these material possessions actually belong to the world. But if we understand the Dhamma, then we see that these things are inconstant, they're stressful, they're not self, and the mind gains purity. And in doing this, we change our wrong views into right views. And uh, we see that 
attaching to the sense of self, it um, creates inner chaos. And so we change this attachment to self uh, and bring that to a knowledge of non-self. And this is able to solve all of our problems. So we must try to solve the problems in our own minds first and try to fix this problem of the self which exists in our minds first. And then we come to contemplate into the nature of sankharas, or the nature of conventions rather, and in doing that our minds become liberated. This may be just a temporary liberation from their attachments, and this is a temporary nibbana. And uh, this recollection of emptiness, of non-self, is something that's very important. We can ask ourselves, where did we come from? Where are we going? We contemplate in this way, that this world is something temporary, it doesn't last forever. And through reflecting like this, the mind can gain inner stillness and peace, it can come into samadhi. And this is how we give birth to wisdom. And so we take our minds to contemplate um, into the virtues of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And the Dhamma we can see as being a constancy, stress, and not self. The Sangha are the beings who have realized that truth. So we think about this and contemplate this, that even the Buddha had to pass away. And uh, he taught that all Sankharas are inconstant. All of the Arahants in the past, they've all passed away as well. So this shows that these, thing, that these things really don't last forever. And that, that's not appropriate to attach to any of them. When our minds see this clearly, and see that all things are anicca, dukkha, anatta, then they also see that none of these things are me, none of them are mine, and the heart becomes pure. And so when we have this ideal of reaching emptiness, of being freed from attachments, then we need to try to get to that. We need to try to attain that. And then Puchar taught that no matter how important anything is, it's not as important as letting go. Because letting go will reduce our suffering. So we need to put down all these things and come to practice. Because the time that we have left in this world is very short. If we're 50 years old and we live to the age of 80, then we've just got 30 years left. If we're 60 years old, then we just have 20 years left. So we see that we don't stay around here for long. And so we shouldn't um, get really caught up with the issues around us, because the time that we have is left is very little. We shouldn't allow ourselves to get stirred up um, about issues of our children, of our grandchildren or great-grandchildren, but rather contemplate that the days and nights are steadily falling by, and the time that we have left in this life is falling away as well, that the world spins around, but time doesn't come back around, and that we have this path of practice that can lead us forward, but if we just stay in the same place, and we just walk around in circles in the same place, and then the suffering we experience will just be the same old thing, the same suffering that we had in our previous lives, 
will be the same that we gain in this life and the same that we have in the future lives. And this isn't the path that leads us out of suffering. So therefore we need to walk the way that leads us to brightness, to light. And this is the path of abandoning evil, of making skillfulness complete and cultivating and bringing our minds to purity, not harming any beings through our body or speech. And just how we don't wish to receive harm, so we don't harm any other beings in that way. And so the Buddha, even though he had his hands and his feet cut off, still he was able to spread loving kindness towards the people who were torturing him. This is something that no other being could do. There was such excruciating pain that pervaded his body, but he wouldn't give in to anger. He wouldn't allow for anger to arise. And uh, he taught that if anyone comes at us with anger, we shouldn't respond with anger. We should train ourselves like this. And so we develop our minds, bring up this quality of patient endurance, uh, this quality of virtue as well. And sometimes we train ourselves in mindfulness and samadhi. And when joy and happiness arises, this can be a very amazing thing. When we see the Dhamma, this is very profound and amazing. It's unbelievable. Even though the Buddha passed away a very long time ago, still we can see the Buddha within our own hearts because the true Buddha exists within the Dhamma. And we can say that really the Buddha hasn't gone anywhere, that even though his physical body, the body of his flesh, has already decayed, but the, his Dhamma body, uh, this Dhammakaya, is still here. And if we practice following this path of sila, samadhi, and panya, of virtue, of samadhi, collectiveness of mind and wisdom, then our minds will attain purity and we'll see the Buddha right then and there. That there will be this clarity within the hearts. And uh, when we train ourselves like this, then we'll see that we're really lucky to be able to receive the teachings of the Buddha. And that we have, now that we have received those, we should firmly put them into practice. And uh, we may just have the time to sit in meditation just once a day, but throughout the entire day we should be bringing up a meditation object, so Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, reciting Itipiso, to be chanting a lot until the mind reaches stillness. Or we can contemplate into inconstancy, stress, and not self, contemplate that this body is unattractive, it's just a pile of bones. And all of this is for the sake of bringing our minds to peace. When we have this meditation object there within our hearts, then they will reach peace. And when they're peaceful, then we can contemplate, and our hearts will see the Dhamma. Uh, but and when inner peace is something that's quite easy, then we won't have to rely upon this quality of patient endurance. But when we don't have that peace, then we need to bring up kanti a lot. So we just carry on doing this. We go without stopping. And why is that? Because if we're already in old age, that means we're in the last stage of our life. 
and we really shouldn't get stirred up with the things of this world anymore. Uh, but really take our hearts as the most important thing, to really make our hearts firm, well-founded. And we need to build a home within our hearts, because we see that this body that we have in the world, it doesn't last for long. So we need to find a refuge to build a house within our hearts. Any issues to do with other people, we just put them down. Perhaps we may have good wishes for them, but if they don't have good wishes towards us, then we need to just let go. We have loving kindness and we put these things down and come to practice in homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. So may you all be sincere in this, especially for the monks to really be devoted to the practice, to give it your best. To not allow the heart to be weak, to not become discouraged to practice until you see and understand the Dhamma.